Welcome to TSX Quarterly, the podcast that brings you publicly available earnings calls from companies listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange in one convenient location. Gone are the days of looking through confusing websites. You'll find the important information right here. Enjoy the call. Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for standing by. Welcome to Crown Capital's Q3 2020 results conference call. Please note that today's call contains forward-looking statements within the meaning of the applicable Canadian securities legislation. Forward-looking statements involve known and unknown risk and uncertainties, as well as other factors that may cause actual financial results, performance, or achievements to be materially materially different uh, from estimated future results, performance, or achievements uh, expressed or implied by those forward-looking statements. For a description of the risk associated with Crown's business, please refer to the company's filings for Q3 2020, as well as at AIF at CDIR.com. Following the call, we will question and answer session. If at any time during this call you need assistance, press for the operator. I would now like to turn the conference over to Chris Johnson. Please go ahead. All right. Well, thank you, operator, and good morning, everyone. Welcome to today's conference call. I'm joined as usual by Mike Overeld, our Chief Financial Officer. Earlier this year, we outlined our strategic plan to expand each of our three investment platforms and reposition Crown Balance Sheet with a focus on transitioning to a more capital-light model where we leverage third-party capital to scale. Since then, like many companies, we've had to navigate the disruptions from COVID, both with our own business as well as our borrower's business. Despite these challenges, we've made good progress on these strategic priorities. In the past two quarters, we've seen a reduction of balance sheet investments, growth in new lines of business, and a modest reduction of balance sheet intensity. Let me start with the activities and highlights from our alternative corporate finance platform. Our focus has been on close monitoring our portfolio and pursuing realizations and restructures of several loans. The proceeds from realizations have been used to pursue strategic opportunities and rationalize our capital structure. Given both our cautious view of the economic environment and our plan to reposition Crown's balance sheet, we are not actively deploying new capital to new lending opportunities, other than supporting our current borrowers. Our medium to long-term view of the lending industry continues to improve, and we are actively seeking new investors for our next private capital fund. Since our reposition was announced in May, we've received significant proceeds from four loans. We received $20 million from Touchstone, which generated a gross IRR of 16% for Crown Partners Fund investors. We received $7 million from Mill Street, a first payment up towards their $10 million long-term loan, and we expect to receive further proceeds in late 2020 and early 2021. We received approximately $5 million from Ferris towards their $25 million loan in Crown Partners Fund, and we received full payout $5.5 million from CCI Wireless, which generated a gross IRR of 17% for Crown Partners Fund investors. In prior quarters, we've talked about the resilience of our portfolio and our past experience working through economic cycles. We continue to be pleased with the progress of nearly all of our portfolio companies and their ability to manage through the current difficult economic environment. That said, certain businesses are experiencing more stress than others, and our client, Penequity, has experienced significant disruption to their business. Penequity, as you recall, develops real estate properties primarily in the retail sector, with a focus on grocery-anchored retail plazas. Their business has been severely impacted by COVID-19 and the associated fallout. 
This has caused an outright loss of some of the project and decline in value of others. This quarter, we've taken a large provision against our loan to reflect the continued deteriorated conditions with this loan. This is obviously a disappointing situation, but in our business, we must deal with these from time to time. We will continue to actively work with Penequity to manage through this environment, and if we're successful, we expect to reverse some or all of this provision. I want to remind our shareholders that our team has significant experience in managing through these situations. In our distributed power business, we're making good progress with the power fund, having advanced projects with most of the operators, as well as establishing a new relationship with impartial ownership in an eighth operating partner, Switch Power. Our operator base continues to build a healthy pipeline. On a consolidated basis, the pipeline has grown to just over $250 million in 40 projects from about $200 million at the end of the previous quarter. We have 12 projects approved to date, and by year-end, we expect to have three of these in operation, with the remaining nine to be commissioned in 2021. The Ontario government's decision to introduce a 2020 peak shaving hiatus caused a delay of four of these projects, but we expect all these to be commenced in 2021. One of the key highlights in the quarter was the acquisition of Galaxy Broadband Communications, an Ontario-based company that provides primarily satellite communication services to enterprise customers across Canada. The acquisition price was $7.5 million, including cash, assumed debt, and performance-based earnouts. In the most recent fiscal year ended, April 30, 2020, Galaxy had revenue of approximately $11.5 million. We're excited to add the Galaxy team to Crown's network services platform. Galaxy has an established and exceptional reputation in the marketplace, as well as a solid base of recurring revenue primarily from large enterprise customers. When combined with our existing wire IE operations, we move forward with additional scale, deeper technology, and go-to-market capabilities. COVID-19 has highlighted the need for better connectivity and we have an even stronger platform to address the opportunity to better connect private enterprise customers, government entities, and communities in underserviced areas. We'll continue to evaluate similar acquisition opportunities where we can add new capabilities, recurring revenue, and customers with minimal capital outlay. Over time, as our investments in this service grows, we expect to raise commitments from third-party investors to fund further asset growth. With that, our Turn over to Mike to review the financials. All right, thanks, Chris, uh, and uh, good morning to everyone on the line. Um, full filings uh, are on CDAR and on the website, so I'll keep the comments here uh, fairly brief as usual. Uh, for Q3, of course, we reported a net loss of $8.1 million, and that was primarily the result of an $11.2 million provision for credit losses taken in the quarter. Uh, that provision relates almost entirely to an increase in the allowance that we've taken in respect to the Penn Equity Realty Loan, which Chris referred to uh, earlier in the call. Uh, aggregate provisions on the other loans carried at amortized cost were quite small, as the rest of the lending portfolio is performing uh, quite well for us at this point. Other notable aspects of our Q3 results, which are all discussed in the MDNA, include uh, the following. Uh, first, I'll point out that our results uh, include uh, a $0.4 million loss attributable to wire IE. It's an accounting loss. Uh, includes depreciation expense of $1 million. Uh, looking through that, EBITDA contribution from wire IE uh, was uh, $0.6 million in the quarter. We recorded net unrealized gains of $2.9 million. Uh, that includes a net gain of $3.6 million in Crown Partners Fund with gains on the fund's investments in uh, Rockstad being the biggest contributor to that and uh, partially offsetting uh, an unrealized uh, loss of $0.7 million in Crown Private Credit Fund, which relates to our Mill Street investment. Uh, as a reminder, uh, the Mill Street loan is carried at fair value. 
had a par value of $10 million, of which $7 million was repaid in Q3, and that was current on its monthly interest right through to the end of July uh, until its uh, primary income earning asset was uh, liquidated. Our uh, carrying value for the Mill Street loan does anticipate full repayment of the remaining par value. Uh, third point, uh, finance costs increased year over year by a half million dollars due to uh, a, a higher average level of outstanding debt. Fourth point, we recorded a $0.4 million impairment charge in relation to certain distributed power equipment under uh, development. And uh, fifth point, our interest revenue was $0.9 million lower year on year. And that's due primarily to the fact that we're no longer uh, recognizing uh, interest uh, from Penn Equity or uh, since July at least from uh, Mill Street. Uh, and the impact of uh, those reductions has been partially offset by a higher amount of interest earned by the Partners Fund. Uh, in total, revenues increased to $12.6 million from $8 million last year in the quarter, uh, due mainly to higher net gains on investments in the current period and higher network services revenue uh, related to the acquisitions. Our reported fees and other income in Q3 uh, remain fairly low, $0.3 million. That's down from $0.5 million last year and comprised mainly of royalty revenue, which was consistent year over year, and a small amount of transaction fees related to a loan amendment and a partial loan repayment in the quarter. Turning to the expense categories that I haven't already touched on, uh, please keep in mind that we acquired Galaxy late in Q3 of this year and that YRIE was acquired midway through Q3 of last year and both of those impact the year-over-year -year comparisons of certain expense categories. Uh, so running through those, uh, uh, GNA is $1.2 million uh, compared with $0.9 million last year. Net of the two acquisitions, it was $0.9 million. That's an increase of $2.2 million year-over-year that uh, was uh, really attributable to higher legal costs that we incurred uh, through the restructuring of uh, certain of our investments in Q3 of this year. Uh, salaries, management fees, and benefits expense was consistent year over year at 1.3 million. Net of the two acquisitions was also flat year over year. Share-based comp uh, increased year over year and quarter over quarter uh, with the increase really due primarily to an increase in our share price uh, in Q3. Uh, that results in an upwards revaluation of certain deferred compensation liabilities that are tied to uh, share price performance. So you can expect the share based comp line to move around a bit quarter to quarter uh, as our share price fluctuates. Uh, depreciation expense is the other one I'll touch on. Again, this almost entirely attributable to network services. Uh, that was a million dollars this quarter down from 1.2 last year. Uh, adjusted funds from operations increased year over year uh, to 2.1 million, or 22 cents per basic share. That compares with a loss of 0.3 million or, point, or 3 cents per share in Q3 of last year. Uh, I'll just highlight, as we did in the MDNA, uh, the RAFFO calculation. You'll see a full breakdown of how we calculate that at the back of the MDNA. It does exclude unrealized gains and losses and credit loss provisions and it includes those gains and losses when they're realized. Uh, total assets increased from about $300 million year end up to $326 million at Q3. It's due uh, largely to uh, additional investment we've made in distributed power equipment under development, also to a higher cash balance. Uh, we exited Q3 with cash and equivalents close to $18 million on a consolidated basis, which of course includes cash held by each of our subsidiary investment funds. 
compares with $8.4 million at the end of uh, uh, 2019. Uh, the uh, increase in that period in our corporate uh, level cash balance mainly reflects $7 million of proceeds we received from the Mill Street loan, uh, which were received on the last day of the quarter, September 30th. Uh, total equity decreased uh, to $84.5 million, $9.14 per basic share. Decreases mostly a result of the loss we incurred in Q3, but I'll flag uh, it is also uh, impacted by the ongoing uh, share buyback activity. As Chris touched on, I think we were more active with the NCIB in Q3 as we acquired and canceled 154,000 shares. Uh, brings us up to 193,000 in the first nine months of the year, uh, and uh, we have remained active with that NCIB uh, to date in Q4 and intend uh, to remain active to the extent uh, uh, we can under the existing uh, program. Uh, with that, I'm going to turn it back to Chris for some closing comments. Well, thanks, Mike. Um, and as we look forward, I just want to remind everybody we're highly focused on the two priorities we set out before. First, to expand diversify the business to unlock the new revenue streams with emphasis on recurrent revenue assets, and second, to reposition our balance sheet moving towards a capital light model. Our team strongly believes that by executing the strategy, we'll merge a much more diversified finance platform with a larger market opportunity, and that our efforts are really geared towards increasing earnings per share over the next 12 to 24 months. On the balance sheet repositioning, we're making progress, and combined with the unwinding investment of these investments, uh, will allow us to repatriate a significant amount of capital. We look forward to updating you in the coming months on the execution of these priorities are outlined today. With that, I'll open up the call for questions. Operator. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, we will now begin the question and answer session. Should you have a question, please press star followed by one on your touchtone phone. You'll hear a three-tone prompt acknowledging your request and your question will be polled in the order that they are received. If you wish to decline from the polling process, please press star, followed by two. If you are using a speakerphone, please lift the handset before pressing any keys. One moment for your first question. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, if you would like to ask a question, please press star, uh, followed by uh, one on your touchtone phone. Okay, so we have a question here from Trevor Reynolds from Acumen. Uh, Trevor, please go ahead. Hey guys, good morning. Hey Trevor. Good morning, Trevor. Hey, um, I was wondering if you can walk me through a little bit more in detail what uh, the process is with uh, with Penn Equity here, um, and uh, you know what your expectations are kind of moving forward. Sure. Um, why don't I just back up a bit and give you some context, and then we'll get into the specifics as best I yeah, can. Yeah, that'd be helpful. Thanks. Um, so we made the investment uh, nearly five years ago. Um, they had a number of properties, significant amount of equity, and um, and really over the course of 2020, or sorry, 2019, um, we really started experiencing um, decline of equity in those properties, and our loan-to-value was increasing such that by Earlier this year, um, we knew we were at a higher loan to value, but uh, you know, felt that we were fully covered and, and just had to see the disposition of the properties and uh, and we'd be fully repaid. Um, then comes the end of March, and 
and there's been major disruptions uh, in, in the business. Um, three of their properties were tied up in a receivership. Um, just that that essentially went no bid. Uh, we were expecting um, you know some value for the primary property. Therefore, we'd be think you know two properties were provided as as uh, collateral. Uh, we would get that value back, but just given. It went no bid. Um, the, uh, the the other party took all the collateral, um, so that 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 had a significant impact on us. Um, second, the uh, I would say their primary jewel in the property, the jewel in the crown, so to speak, was a uh, retail development in London, where they had a large international um, retailer um, that would have been, you know, key to the success of the site uh, withdrew. Uh, given the you know, landscape, uh, another one would be public knowledge. Would be um, actually, I, won't, I won't get into specifics, but another large retailer has filed um, for CCAA. Um, still unclear if that's that, that lease would be proceeding. Um, the benefit is it has one of the best performing uh, retailers as a, as a as an anchor t tenant and customer in the place, um, or sub shadow anchor, I guess would be the correct term. Um, but that property is significantly destabilized, um, and that that's the one that's generated most of our write downs this quarter. Uh, we have an appraisal that would indicate that, that if everything normalizes, then our existing carrying values were were good. Um, it's just it's a very volatile situation, uh, both operationally uh, to get that project moved ahead, and as well as financially with the capital structure that existed there and trying to put that together back together again. Um, so I, I do think, you know, personally, I, I believe that the, um, this site will get developed. I think there's a lot of motivated parties at the table to get developed, and if it gets developed, we'll start bringing some value back into the, to the equation. Um, the other two are uh, uh, just, you know, some minor. One we actually did a minor write-up on. One we did a minor write-down on. It says probably a wash. You know, one's a, another kind of finalizing touches of a, a retail. Um, uh, development in uh, in the Hamilton area, um, and uh, you know just again some destabilization and pushed back some leases, carrying costs went a little higher, but they're at the finishing touches of that one, so we're not concerned about that one coming through. Um, it's going to be some work, uh, but you know from a value sense, we think that's a team we have at Pen Equity is is on top of that one, and then the third one is a, a residential land development in uh, Barrie that was adjacent to the commercial site that went. Uh, under last year, and uh, that one looks like it's going to be a good one as well. Although it's just getting to the starting lines has been a considerable amount of work, uh, some unattended, unattended um, issues we've had to work through uh, to get there. But uh, so that that's that's the that's the nature of the problem is it's a very fluid situation as we're working through these three uh, projects. Um, and uh, if the team does a good job, both our team and their team does a good job, we'll see actually significant profit in these developments. Uh, but, you know, we're dealing with a lot of volatility, and for our valuation standards, we decide to take the provisions now. Perfect. That's uh, that's helpful. So, in, and then if you had to kind of gauge what the potential upside is and, and downside from from here, like what what could still go wrong from from what you've written down, and uh, you know maybe what uh, I think you touched a little bit on what uh, what needs to go right, but uh, just just maybe where things sit in terms of the write downs. So, 
we don't disclose carrying value of individual properties, but you can see the sum of it is uh, is significant discount to the face value, 25 million. Um, so I, I would say most of that value is 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 on the properties we well know. As I said, the the Hamilton site and the the Barry site, and we put very little value on the London site, and um, it's disappointing. Like that goes back to that was probably one of the sites we felt strongest about six months ago, uh, prior to uh, I'm losing track of time, but prior to COVID, when we believed we had the international customer as a uh, purchaser of land and, and a shadow anchor, um, and, and, and now we don't. So um, it doesn't have anywhere really to go down further than what it is right now, and has a long way to go up. In terms of how much money we can make, I think as we get clarity in terms of how the the part project comes together, we can give a bit of guidance on that. But the, the, the view is not only would we recover the value we, we would have in the land, um, there would be development profits to be had as well that we'll, we'll build a rec, you know, not, not recognize, but we will realize over time through successful completion of these projects. Okay, that's, uh, that's helpful. I'll turn it over for, for some other questions and uh, go from there. Thank you, guys. Thanks, George. Ladies and gentlemen, as a final reminder, should you have a question, please press star followed by one. Okay, it appears there are no further questions. Please proceed. All right. Um, obviously, uh, not 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 the greatest of quarters, and uh, do appreciate everybody uh, participating today. Um, just to remind everybody that we're available to talk uh, in terms of the quarter, and uh, a lot of work needs to be done. Uh, we continue to believe that our plan to have this uh, repositioning complete in in a year's time. So that really means by next May, you know, it'll be substantially complete and we'll be in you know position in the right direction. But again, uh, do appreciate everybody participating and please reach out anytime. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes your conference call for today. We thank you for participating and ask that you please disconnect your lines. Thank you for listening to TSX Quarterly. If you enjoyed the cast, remember to leave a good rating. And remember, for any additional inquiries, please consult the company's investor relations section on their website. See you next time.